Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth. For the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Potterburn. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. With five seconds, he's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown. Carolina back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. There is a flag down. But holy smokes. Two and four in overtime games. Carolina one and three here from under center. Give off to Greg Little. Little pulls away. Little is going to score. Carolina wins. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Carolina with a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good. It's good. Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Putterburn. In his end zone. The punt. Very high. Switzer will have room to return it. He feels it at the 40. Coming near side. Switzer at the 50. Switzer, 45, cuts back at the 40, 35, breaks a tackle at the 30, still on his feet, no he's not, yes he is, Ryan Switzer for six. He is doing his best Giovanni Bernard impression. Ryan Switzer again. Bernard fields it at the 26, heading to the far side. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Back live with you here on a Tuesday night. Normally, uh, as we've been uh, doing the last couple of weeks, it's normally a Monday night, but uh, our guy here got to spend some quality time with his dad last night over at the uh, Panthers game. And may or may not uh, regret that, not the time with his dad, but watching the Panthers offense, uh, which just looks downright terrible. But we're going to talk about something that uh, should cheer uh, fans up a little bit more if you're a Tar Heel fan, and that is the start that the Tar Heels have 
to their 2023 season. They pick up a win on Saturday over the Minnesota Golden Gophers and now sit uh, 3-0 on the season, a 31-13 victory over Minnesota in Chapel Hill. This was the first meeting between the two sides in the program's histories. And uh, this was one that Carolina pretty much dominated throughout. Um, it was never really a game that was in question, but it was one that Carolina was not able to put away until late. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the passing game performance, 414 yards through the air. What do we think uh, that means after the struggles in the first two weeks? Uh, not a great night on the ground for Carolina. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, the passing game, uh, the passing defense, rather, uh, much better in this one. Uh, is this a sign that uh, there is at least something there and that moving forward uh, throughout the rest of the year, this this could be a group that, uh, you know, can, can be a little bit better than they were the first two games of the season, or is Minnesota uh, just uh, just booty cheeks? We'll, we'll, we'll discuss that here uh, on this edition of the podcast. And, of course, uh, you know, we do have uh, an update uh, later on in the podcast, and we'll uh, kind of give you guys a little bit of a promotion for our next edition of the podcast with another commitment in the 2025 class. But uh, welcome in Josh Marlowe here for this edition of the podcast. Uh, but they're, they're 3-0. Um, you know, I think this was probably the – I mean, this was definitely the goal. Uh, you know, it was a four-game stretch that was extremely difficult. I think if you told – Tariel fans, if they made it out of this three and one, um, they probably would have been pretty excited. And look, now they go go into this game uh, three and zero. Oh. I think at this point, you know, it's the third time in the last four years that Carolina has been three and zero. It's the it's just uh, it's the first time that Carolina has been three and zero oh in back to back seasons since 1996 97. It feels like getting over that hump is going to be you know that next step, but you know, for Carolina to get there, they had to win this game on Saturday. We both thought that it would be a pretty competitive game back and forth. And I think Carolina did a pretty good job of at least, you know, dominating throughout the game when they had to, uh, to, to pull out a pretty uh, significant win against Minnesota. Yeah, I don't know if dominating is the word I would use. Um because I said in our in our instant analysis, I, the best part about this win was Carolina left a lot on the field, um, and I and and you've heard that echoed from Mac Brown and that coaching staff Saturday night, and when they met with the media um, on Monday uh, to to talk about the win and, and break down what they saw as they get ready for Pittsburgh, and um, it, you know. I don't think if un, uneven is probably too negative of a word to say, but this was a game that, you know, I sat there and watched. And if, if the team played the way it did last year, I don't know if the game was a 31, 13 margin. I don't know if the defense last year only gives up three points, all two Drake may interceptions. I don't know if coming out of the second half, if they only give up a field goal as opposed to a touchdown. That's why, I mean, it's a dominating. It was a twenty. It was a twenty-one to thirteen game at one point. You know, in the in the second half, it was a one possession game. But the thing that Carolina did that they didn't do last year was they controlled the game. Um, there was never really a doubt who you, who the better team was on Saturday. And there was never really a doubt that I thought Carolina was was going to lose the game. Um, there were games last year where, in that nine and one start, where Carolina, it was in question if they were going to win. Um, you go back to that Virginia game as uh, as as up and down as Carolina played in that one. There was a, a legitimate shot. I think they got a fourth and goal stop on the way to that victory. If, if they give up a touchdown, who knows how that outcome prevails? And so. I think that's what I like about this team is that you can tell there's a little bit more complimentary football being played here. Um, I think the defense responded in a big way, um, whether you want to criticize Minnesota's game plan or not, because they came out wanting to throw the ball instead of saying, wanting to run the ball. Carolina's defensive backs were up to the task. The, the, the 
even though the the defensive line didn't wreck the game, they impacted the game and forced an average quarterback to make errant throws. And so um, I think that's what I like about this this 3-0 start. They've got three wins all in three different ways where week one you dominated up front, week two you – you know, you won in a shootout against a in-state opponent that always plays you tough. And then you play a Big Ten team that a lot of people thought were going to come into your house and beat you, and you beat them by three possessions. And so um, I think as much as any of the last three N O starts, this one as 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 real and as much believable moving forward as I think we've seen under Mac Brown 2.0. Yeah, I think that the way you put it, I think was was probably the best. They controlled the game the entire way, um, and yeah, and and even these games, you know, we're talking about them not putting away opponents when they didn't put away opponents last year, even early in the season. Every one of those games came down to the final possession. They were all one score games. You're talking about App State, Georgia State. Um, Virginia, as you mentioned, teams that you should not have been doing that against. And in these two games, the really the two games that we're talking about that they weren't able to put away because App State was a back and forth game the entire time. There, there was no, there was never a chance in that game where you said, okay, they're going to put this game away. No, they were in for a battle in that one. South Carolina and Minnesota, both games we said, hey, they haven't put the game away. They've had opportunities. They still won both games by double digits. So that's the difference, I think, from last year's team to this year's team. Even when they're not putting opponents away, they're not letting opponents back into the game. Against South Carolina, you had turnovers. Would have been easy to let them right back into the game. In this game, I mean, you could have let you could have let Minnesota back in. And I mean, granted, you were only up 11 at halftime. Um, it should have been 15 because there, there was a pass interference penalty on Geo Biggers that that just was not a smart play by him at all. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there, there were multiple opportunities. This defense, as you mentioned, really stepped up and played well. But uh, you look, this, this is, you know, uh, th- this is where I think a lot of people were hoping Carolina could be, um, you know, after three games, I think, you know, the, most people that were optimists, I don't know if they saw Carolina having double-digit wins over the SEC and Big Ten opponents that they played uh, to start the season. It's just the second, uh, or it's the first time that Carolina has beaten two opponents, one from the SEC, one from the Big Ten, uh, in the same season since 1976. So this is this is something that doesn't happen too often around here. And for Carolina to get it done, granted, probably against two teams that are not even at this point, I don't even know if they're in the top half of their conferences. Um, you know, I, I think that's something that you have to take into account. But at the same time, I think you got to give Carolina credit. These are two teams that we thought would match up pretty well with them. And really, Carolina controlled both of those games on the way to victories. Now, you talk about what was the strength of Carolina in this game. Talk about the way Carolina has won these games. I thought in this game, you know, we talked about so much in the first game was how the defensive front performed, uh, just how dominant they were in that game. Uh, and the offense, you know, was able to run the ball and do enough. Um, the, the second game, it was really the running, the, the rushing offense that was outstanding and carried the load. This game, it was the passing offense. 414 yards through the air for Carolina. Minnesota just had absolutely nothing for this passing game outside of the two mistakes from Drake May, um, you know, for for him, I, to me, very similar to what we saw in the opener. I thought it was a good, not great performance. I thought for the majority of the day, he looked really good. There were some throws that, you know, I thought were, were a little behind receivers. I don't think it was his best day, but the fact that you can throw for 414 yards on a day that's not your best day really shows you how talented a quarterback you have. Um, the interceptions were interesting. I thought the first one, don't know if he just underestimated the linebacker being able to make a play on the football. Um, I don't know. The other thing, when you watch it back from the angle behind the line of scrimmage, I don't know if the way that British Brooks came out of the backfield, if that's sort of fooled Drake into not realizing how, clo- how, how far back the linebacker was. I don't know if he thought that the linebacker was playing closer in coverage to British Brooks, and that's why he thought he could make that throw over the top. 
Um, that one, to me, not great. Can't happen. The second one, I, I, that one to me, I think was probably a throwaway. Um, and he got hit as he threw. Uh, it was hard to see in the stadium. It looked like he really just panicked and threw a lame duck just right to a guy. Um, but he actually did get hit when you watch it back a couple of times. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's definitely not great. It put Carolina in tough positions. Their defense stepped up. Um, but I think outside of that, I thought his two touchdown passes were outstanding. Um, the first one to Nate McCollum was, I mean, an extremely difficult throw. On the run, never sets his feet, just throws an absolute strike down the field 46 yards in the air to McCollum, who makes a great catch uh, through coverage uh, or really through pass interference. Um, never Was never in doubt, though. Wasn't one that was going to be intercepted. It was just a great throw. And then the second one to Bryson Nesbitt, I thought he did just a great job of looking off uh, the linebacker. He actually checks short. Uh, he pump fakes to... Uh, the screen that was short, I think it was Kobe Pesor. He draws the linebacker or safety. I'm not sure who was coming down into the box to cover that one right there. Draws that player up just enough and then hits Bryson Nesbitt over the top for the touchdown. So it's moments like that where you see that from Drake May and you know, hey, we still got a special quarterback, but it is a little frustrating some of those turnovers, especially the timing of when they happened uh, that allowed Minnesota to sort of stay in the game. I think the the thing about his performance on Saturday, um, as dominant as it was at times, he threw for 414 yards, and he trusts two wide receivers to throw the football to consistently. And that's Kobe Pesor, and then on Saturday, he was Nate McCollum, who was the best player on the field for either team. You know there's trust in the tight end room with John Copenhaver and Bryson Nesbitt whenever those two guys are on the field. But outside of that, he, there's there's not a lot of trust in the other guys, whether it's J.J. Jones, um, Andre Green Jr., you know, whoever it is. He really trusts those two slot receiver guys, and I think that's why um, the offense has kind of got to gear to more four wide receiver sets and having those two guys on the field as much as possible. Um, I, I think Nesbitt's a guy that is uh, – unique enough to where you could line him up as a, even though he's a tight end on the outside, you see that sometimes you've seen it some with some of the dudes in the NFL that have that kind of unique uh, skill set, kind of like the basketball players, uh, you know, going back with where it was Antonio Gates, you know, all those dudes. Um, and so I think that's going to be the thing is we needed someone to emerge outside of Kobe Pace or we knew Nate McCollum had it. And you saw that on Saturday. And even though there were times that he would go to J.J. Jones or whoever, you could tell there is still some hesitancy to get those guys the ball. Um, whereas last year with, uh, you know, Antoine Green, some of those corner routes that are open, he doesn't trust those guys to make those plays right now. Um, and it's still a good sign that they can still throw the ball the way that they had. the Because there's going to be games where they got to throw it. And after the first two games where he threw for – you know, a little over 400 yards combined, you, it was kind of worrisome. You know, if Carolina gets in one of those games that he has to chuck it 45 times, can they do it? I think they proved on Saturday they can do it. They do it differently than what we saw under Phil Longo. Um, they do it more efficiently because they're getting the ball out of his hands a lot quicker. Um, and he's not having to take, you know, the hits that he has to take, wait for plays to develop down the field. And so – um, we saw what this passing offense can be under Chip Lindsey. And the more that I watch the offense, the more I'm becoming a believer in this offense moving forward. Because I was pretty down on the hire and thought it was pretty rather underwhelming of all the offensive coordinators that exist in college football, the kind of guy that you could get in here to come and coach Drake May. You get a guy that's you know lost the right to call plays at his last two stops. We knew Drake had an influence and Chip Lindsey ultimately getting the hire. And I think we've seen why in all three games, they've got a connection from coordinator to coach that I don't think he had last year with Phil Longo. Um, I think a lot of it last year was Drake's just that good. And Phil Longo could devise a good game plan. But um, I, I think every time that Chip Lindsey's put together a game plan so far this year, He's put the one together that gives Carolina the best position to win, 
and that's something we haven't said the last four years. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I thought after the first two weeks, the criticism of Chip Lindsey was just asinine. I, th- I thought it was just the most unreal thing that I saw on social media the entire weekend. And then this weekend, notice how this weekend nobody's saying anything. Now, all of a sudden, well, you know, you got Drake, you, you, you started throwing the ball. But guys, you can win a multitude of different ways. That was the thing with, with, with Phil Longo. If you, if you were able to slow down the passing game like we saw late last year, this offense just did not flow. There was no flow to it. They couldn't score in the red zone. It, 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 and, and now, I mean, look, it's still early in the year, and we, we probably were saying similar things last year because the offense felt pretty efficient a year ago. But the other thing is, you mentioned it, the, the, there's not those guys on the outside that are making the big plays. Even the other day, where were the explosive plays really down the field for Carolina? I mean, there were a few of them. Um, you know, you definitely had, you know, the one to McCollum on the touchdown. You had the one to uh, Kamari Morales. I mean, they've kind of picking they, – they've, they've had them – you know, they had them in Charlotte, and then they had them again the other day. But at times, it feels like they can sort of toggle back and forth where they can methodically move the ball down the field. It didn't really feel like you had that as much last year. And I know McCollum, 15 catches, 165 yards, and he was phenomenal. He's, I mean, if there's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver on this team this year, it's going to be him. Um, I I think he showed the other day that uh, there's a reason why Carolina brought him in. And at this point, I'd be shocked if, uh, if Carolina doesn't, you know, continue to use him in the slot and try to make Kobe Pesor that guy on the outside. I, I think you, you're still seeing at times, though, Carolina is able to spread the football around a little bit better. At times, I mean, especially in 2021, um, Josh Downs, I mean, they threw the ball, like, great receiver. They threw the ball almost too much to him because mm-hmm. there was just no threat outside of him. You're not seeing that with this team. No matter what, they're finding different guys that can get involved all the time. I mean, Bryson Nesbitt, huge catches the other day. Like you said, I mean, they could play him outside. I like how they use him in the slot. I I think he's sort of a mismatch for guys uh, in there because when you have those nickel corners, um, especially if they're trying to press up against them, I mean, he he does have a little bit of strength to him. I know he's not the the greatest blocker. Uh, That's the reason why we don't see him in there a ton on rundowns, but at the same time, um, I, I think he's just a matchup nightmare. And, you know, he showed that again the other day. I think Kamari Morales stepped up um, and you need him to, you need Kamari Morales to be really, really good for you right now and and, and have that effect for you um, catching the football with John Copenhaver still coming back from uh, the injury that uh, has not allowed him to catch the football for two weeks. Uh, so I, I think, you got that tight end group that you really like it. And I get it, you know, with the receivers. Yeah. You're still seeing them. Some of them come along. I think consistency is still the name of the game with them. Um, I think the last two weeks, you've kind of seen what JJ Jones is. Um, I think he's, you know, got that explosive nature to him over the top, but at the same time, I just think he's lacking the consistent separation uh, that he needs to be able to have on the outside. What you saw, Antoine Green sort of develop as he went throughout last season. Um, Andre Green Jr., guy that, you know, uh, Greg Ward, you know, he, he says that he expects a big week from him this week. I mean, I hope so. I think that's certainly possible. Chip Lindsay says that he's coming along, but at the same time, we just haven't seen it yet. And then you lose Gavin Blackwell. Who knows how long he's going to be out for? Um, I know that they said they're monitoring him this week. Um, I, I think it was pretty evident to everybody when we were in the sands. It, it was. It looked like it was a head injury. It looked like it was probably a concussion. Um, so it's going to take some time probably for him to come back. Um, so Carolina's got to find solutions out there. Um, and maybe, you know, moving Kobe Pesor out there is the solution. I know you were kind of frustrated with it because you you like what he's been able to bring in the slot. And look, the results would tell you, hey, wasn't great. First five games that he started as a Tar Heel, um, he had you know, he led the team in receiving in each of those five games. The other day, his sixth start, he had two targets the entire day, one catch, four yards. 
Um, but I think the hope that they have is that, hey, we need a, a dynamic playmaker on the outside. We've lacked it here these first three games of the season. Hopefully, Kobe Pesor can sort of develop into that guy. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice hope. I just, with as as explosive as he is, as McCollum is, and with the way that Omari and Hampton can run the ball, you're going to be hard-pressed to convince me otherwise, and Chip Lindsey knows a hell of a lot more about coaching offense than I do, that spreading defenses out um, with four wide receivers and really spreading the field all the way out using all the 53 and a third yards that you got to your advantage and putting a Pesor and McCollum in the slot. How many, how many teams in this conference can defend that? There's maybe two teams that have the athletes. Florida State and Clemson maybe have the, 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 the right defensive personnel that could defend that type of defense. Because then if you put Hampton in the backfield, you got to be worried about that you're going to run it. And if not, you've got two dudes that are going to kill you with crossing routes and slant routes and all this other stuff. And when they get in space, they're going to make you miss. And they're fast enough to, you know, keep on running for days, kind of like Forrest Gump did, uh, well, in the movie Forrest Gump back in the 1980s. And so that's just kind of my thing is that, look, if he can win on the outside, cool, put him out there. But I'd like to see them both in the slot. And you you find a defense that can stop it, I'd say, okay, do something different. I don't think that type of talent exists in the ACC outside of the upper echelon teams like the Clemsons and the Florida States. And so um, I think that's something where I'd like to see them experiment just because I don't know if he can win consistently enough on the outside to warrant him not being in the slot the majority of the time he lines up on, on, on offensive plays. I mean, look, he he played outside in high school, so it's not That's like he's school. completely foreign to it. Um, so I, I don't mind them putting him out there some. My problem with the other day, right, he played exclusively pretty much out there. He only played six snaps of his 40 – I had it just here just a second ago. I think it's 45. Yes, 45 snaps he played in the slot or uh, outside. So I get it. Like, my thing is, is you went from one extreme of only playing him in the slot. You never played him outside. To now, we're going to exclusively play him on the outside. That's the thing that I don't really understand. You're right. I think there's they can create matchup nightmares because, yeah, you, most teams struggle to have one good nickel corner. To have two good nickel corners or to have a safety that can, you know, stay on guys that are as shifty as McCollum or Pesor, I mean, that's asking a lot. So I think, yeah, you want to see them use that a little bit more. To me, if they do that, if they don't do that, that's malpractice. They got to do that more moving forward. I get the thing, though, they're, they're also going to want him to adjust to the outside because they want to use Bryson Nesbitt in the slot a little bit, too. And you saw the other day, Bryson Nesbitt can be very effective in the slot as well. So I think that's the thing is they got to find a little bit of balance. Um, now the, the, the other thing is, is can somebody else emerge on the outside? Can you find now? I mean, really they got to find two because they thought they were going to have Tez Walker. They don't have him out there. So now, you know, Gavin Blackwell, you know, before, even before he got banged up, we heard so many good things about him in the preseason so far through three games, it just hasn't really been there for him. Um, so now you've you've really got to find two guys that can step up on the outside. And if you can eventually do that, then I think you you, you say to yourself, okay, now we can use Pesor or McCollum. The worst thing for Pesor getting slot snaps, though, to be honest, is the way that McCollum performed. I mean, how are you going to go away from a guy that was that productive out of the slot for you in his first game back at full strength? Like, clearly – Drake May has established a really good rapport with him. Um, I mean, look, as good as Kobe Pesor played in the first two games of the season, Nate McCollum had had just one fewer catch and more receiving yards than he did, um, you know, in two games in one game on Saturday. So it's just that you're, you're not going away from that guy. So, I mean, Carolina, that that's the thing we knew it was going to be, one of the big storylines of that receiving core is how they would handle, um, you know, those two really good slot receivers. And we'll have to monitor that 
uh, going forward. The other real positive that I thought in this game stood out was the way that the defensive backs played. Um, and, and they they were really the group that spearheaded uh, the, the day that the pass defense had allowed just 133 yards through the air. And this is all while only pressuring the quarterback 13 times. We'll talk a little bit more here coming up about the defensive line sort of taking a little bit of a step back. But I, I really thought, you know, the defensive backfield, I mean, you had Power Eccles with his interception, which was just a tremendous job. Apparently, Power Eccles cannot just have a normal interception. He has to, it has to be somehow deflected. He has to be reaching down towards the ground or diving for it in order to pull in an interception. Uh, but he made a tremendous play to intercept that pass. Uh, that was, uh, I mean, I mean, completely turned, I think, the the thought around uh, the early part of the game because Minnesota was driving the length of the field. We were sitting here saying, oh, we could be in for a back-and-forth affair with a Minnesota offense that, frankly, is just terrible. Um, and he comes up with that interception. I thought that really set the tone for the entire day of, hey, we might bend a little bit, but we're not going to break. Um, and the defensive backfield, I, I thought – you know, the rest of the day was was really just tremendous. I mean, allowed 11 completions the entire day, had eight pass breakups, uh, and and pulled down uh, an interception of their own. Armani Chapman uh, gets, you know, his first significant run of the season, played two snaps in the first two games of the year, played 36 snaps the other day, and was probably Carolina's best corner the entire day. Um, it was targeted 10 times on 24 coverage snaps, allowed three of those to be caught. Uh, now it was for 60 yards. A lot of that came on a play that was not his best, probably his one week moment of the day where he missed three different tackles. Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that, um, I, I thought he was outstanding and he's a guy that to me, uh, at least from what we've seen here early in the season, you got to play him over Tayon Holloway. That's probably your, your second corner out there if you're wanting to use Elijah Huzzy in the slot. Um, but the group as a whole, I thought Don Chapman played pretty well back there. Um, you know, Geo Biggers was, was all right. I mean, he, he allowed the second most yards in coverage, of course, had the penalty that he took. Um, and, and, but you know, Marcus Allen played really well in this game again, uh, you saw Elijah Huzzy play extremely well, probably the best game that we've seen from him so far in a Tario uniform. Uh, and Minnesota's passing offense was just stymied the entire day. I get they weren't great in the first two games of their season, but a lot of credit needs to be given to this Tario defensive back room, which really stepped up in this game. It's hard to be uh, disappointed with only giving up 11 completions for a buck 33 in, in today's college football. Um, you get eight pass breakups, you, you get an interception, um, and you had just different dudes, you know, uh, stepping up and making plays. And kind of like with, with the passing game, the best part about it is there were still plays that, um, that, that they left to be made on the field, which makes it easier for these coaches to stay on them. I think what you're seeing with this cornerback room more so than what you've seen in last in the last couple of years, there's just a buy-in factor. They believe in what they're being asked to do. That wasn't the case last year with Tony Grimes and Storm Duck guys. That you know Grimes was a five-star talent, and and Duck really peaked as a freshman. Um, th th there was just never this sense that they bought into what the what the message was message was, or they believed in it. Say what you want about. The this, this this group it may not be as gifted, but there's a different attitude about them. And um, one of the bigger things that they that they they do better than they did in the last couple of years is even when they screw up and they and they make a mistake or you miss three tackles on one possession on one play, it doesn't kill them. They're able to bounce back and and and, and make the play the next time. There's a different confidence that mm -hmm. exists in that room. And that's a really big thing for that position because a lot of times you get stuck in one-on-one -on -one situations and there are some times you're going to get beat and there are some times you're going to commit a penalty. That's just the nature of, of that position. But those mistakes can snowball. And it felt like in the past couple of years, I think this is really where the inexperience of Dre Bly as a coach maybe showed up more so than anything. 
was he never got his guys to bounce back. It would just seem like when one thing went wrong, it would just come down and it would just carry over. I don't think that happens with this group. It feels like whenever they mess up, they're motivated to go out there and, and right their wrong. There's a different attitude. Um, you know, the, the defensive backs has been, you know, they're called rude boys for a long time, despite a lot of years not being quite so rude on the back end. I think that moniker is about as true as it's been since 2015. There's there's confidence in that room. There's physicality in that room. I mean, as uh, as dumb as a hit as that Geo Biggers hit was, and it gifted Minnesota a touchdown. I mean, the man, the man brought it. I mean, we heard we we heard the hit all the way up, you know, in our section up there at 220, and that 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 resonates. It makes it harder for those guys to want to go across the middle. It makes them harder to get stuck out there and, and, and be ready to make a play. And so, um, really encouraged with what that group has shown. And um, the the thing for me is, I think they're just scratching the surface to where they're 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 still. I saw some stuff on Saturday where I was like, this looks good, and they can still get really better. And that's that's a positive feeling because I don't know when the last time we felt that way about Carolina's secondary. Well, the difference with this group this year is that they're being developed. Like, let's just be honest. I mean, especially at the corners spots. I mean, you saw Tony Grimes. When was Tony Grimes' best season, freshman year? Storm Duck. Best season, freshman year. Mm-hmm. You just didn't see them be able to build on what they did in their first years on campus. Marcus Allen, I think Marcus Allen, clearly better player than he was last year. I mean, he has been uh, he has been nothing short of tremendous the first three games of the season. Um, and then, look, you're going to get beat over the top at times. It happens, especially when you play on the outside. But, I mean, just the way he's played the football this year, I mean, there's there's a lot and 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 confidence. That's the the thing I was thinking when we started that conversation. There, I, I think that's the biggest difference with this group. You're right. Last year, and I mean, the bowl game is just the perfect example. You have the pass interference penalty against Legend Cavazos, and then the rest the the, the rest of the game, Carolina could not cover anybody. It was mm-hmm. over. Um, this group, it's just completely different. Um, and, and you're seeing, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess a buy-in factor is definitely part of it. I think it's just, you know, the growth of everybody, even at the safety positions, Charlton Warren deserves a lot of credit there too. I mean, when Don Chapman and Geo Biggers were, were the guys that were going to be the starters again there, you kind of wonder to yourself, all right, especially with Don Chapman, you know, we've seen him back there. This is now the third year that he's been back there. Is there really going to be that much of a difference? I think the first three games of the year, he's been really, really good. I mean, I've seen a lot of things that I've liked from him. I mean, he pulled down the interception. He should have had the one the other day. It was in position, just couldn't come down with it. But still, to be in position at times, you know, the last couple of years, I mean, he would be completely out of position. There's a reason that they they benched him a couple of times. So, like, I, I think you're 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 seeing guys that are veterans that are stepping up. And the other difference is you're seeing a lot more depth here. You said it, and, and I mean, look, there are times where, you know, we get frustrated when guys, you know, mess up and, and and we're asking ourselves, you know, why are they still on the field? But, I mean, look, in hindsight, especially at that position, when you make mistakes, the mindset of having to bounce back, sometimes you got to leave guys out there and say, all right, let's see what you're made of here. You let up another big play, we're getting you the heck out of there. Um, but, look, give credit to the guys that that made mistakes the other day. They did not compound those mistakes. They immediately bounced back. Um, but you're seeing the depth there now. You talk about, you know, corner. I mean, Armani Chapman didn't play in those first two games of the year because you had Tayon Holloway that you were using out there. Um, and you still have him at, at your uh, disposal. You'll have Legend Cavazos, who just started getting back to practice this week. He's going to join that room again here shortly. Um, and now you're getting a guy at the safety spot and at the corner spots can play a little bit of nickel. Stick Lane played 27 snaps the other day. I thought he looked really good in the snaps that he was on the field, and he played all over the place. He played 10 snaps in the box, 10 snaps at field safety. He played uh, two on the outside at corner and three in the nickel. So a guy that can literally do anything that you need him to do. This is the difference with this unit this year. 
And it's the reason why you're starting to feel more and more confident with them. Yeah, there's the headliners like Elijah Huzzy, who's been a steady force, Marcus Allen, the entire year. But the fact that they've got this much depth and different guys that they can rotate in and find the guys that are really, you know, stepping up and 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 playing well. Like, look, you, you ride Armani Chapman if he starts to struggle a little bit. Hey, you got Tayon Holloway who did some really good things for you in fall camp and who you you still really like as a young guy in that room that you can rotate back in or legend Cavazos. That's the difference where last year it felt like right at times you just had to live and die with Tony Grimes, Storm Duck. Like you didn't have anybody else. Like you had Cavazos eventually, but it took him a while. So it's, it's a much different feeling and, and it just, it just feels so good to have that group as one that you can feel um, somewhat confident in. Now you go, you know, to the areas where Carolina struggled a little bit. Um, and look, this is one, you know, I'll, I'll start with the offensive line because I will say this, the offensive line the other day, I thought played pretty well overall in, in, in just when you look at, you know, what Carolina did the majority of the day. Now, part of it was because they couldn't run the ball early, uh, but in pass protection, this group was outstanding. They allowed just seven total pressures in the game. Um, you know, they, they, they did allow, uh, at least one sack of Drake May and that one sack, uh, yeah, that one sack Diego pounds allowed it. Um, that was really, you know, I, I thought Drake probably, I don't know if he just slowed down cause he was trying to make a play or, uh, really if their defensive lineman was just, did j- just had that good a closing speed and closed in on him to bring him down for the sack. Um, outside of that, I mean, Carolina was really, really good. And that was with Ed Montalus coming in and having to take over for Willie Lampkin. Now, the area where they did struggle was running the football. Um, we talked about, you know, last week, just an outstanding performance. Carolina dominated up front. Um, and, you know, this this week I mentioned Ed Montalus in there. Willie Lampkin was out with an injury. Uh, it was noticed in uh, warmups. I I don't remember who the first person was to point it out. It may have actually been Michael Coe, uh, who was the first one to point it out. Noticeable limp, and he doesn't end up playing in the game. So then you got a guy in Ed Montalus who was coming off an injury that got thrown in there. And look, he, we know from last year, he's there, there are weaknesses to his game. The other day, did not have a great day in terms of run blocking. Carolina ran over the left guard spot eight times, picked up nine yards the entire day. Um, but it wasn't just him. The rest of the line really struggled. Uh, and this is, you know, something that was a little bit shocking because in the first game of the season, Minnesota allows 181 rushing yards to to Nebraska. And look, Nebraska, they, they've got some corn-fed fellas up front. There's no doubt about that. But still, that's not exactly the most dominant team. This isn't Nebraska – uh, of the you know late 90s that we're talking about here. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm concerned with that, um, but at the same time, you know, you'd like to see Carolina take what, what happened on Saturday and use it as a learning experience for when they play some of those more physical fronts that they could see really late in the season in conference play. Uh, because they're going to have to be able to run the ball in those games. You can't just rely on your passing game uh, when it comes to playing teams like Duke, Clemson, and NC State at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean that's you're 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 not wrong. Um, and look, I'm not going to say I anticipated the lack of production on the ground the other day, but you know I, I did buy into an ACC offensive line going up against a Big Ten defensive line. Those defenses are are built to stop the run, um, and we showed a future Big Ten conference opponent that this is how we play football and that whenever we make the transition to the Big Ten, it's still going to be pretty productive and pretty successful. So um, the, the biggest thing is that um, – Carolina's running game was also some of its short passing game. And that that commitment was something you're still not used to seeing, you know, because whenever Carolina would used to go air raid, they would still try to get the ball 20, 30 yards down the field. Well, you get the ball, you know, at the line of scrimmage or behind it. It's a, it's a run play. And you're still basically blocking it like a run play. 
Um, and so Carolina was still creative enough to to get the kind of runs that they need. Um, look, Lampkin being out, I do think it's it's cause to be concerned because the offensive line is did it, it, it looked way different. Mm-hmm. It, it it didn't look like it was able to to move guys consistently, and they're going to need to do that um, down the stretch as they face some teams that got some talented dudes up front. So um, I think we also should have expected this after the rushing performance that we had a week ago. You knew Minnesota was going to want to pride itself on and saying, and as good as Drake is, we're going to, if, if we're going to lose, the quarterback's going to beat us. Big 10 teams aren't going to let them line it up and run it at you. It's just not the way that they're built. It's not in their MO. So um, I think if you see the same type of production this upcoming week in that Pittsburgh, I think then it's like, okay, what happened? Is this the same offensive line that we've seen the past couple of years that starts hot and then wears down the middle of the year? Or was this just a blip on the radar now that they're going up against ACC competition pretty much moving forward outside of the, the game against Campbell um, later in the year? You know, I, I'm pretty confident this team will be able to run the ball the way that it wants to and will need to moving forward. Yeah, and I, I think we don't know how long Lampkin's out. I would say the, the good news is that he warmed up the other day. If it was that severe of an injury, he wouldn't have been out there. Um, so I, I think that's that's encouraging. And, you know, I, I think you can't really be too negative about where this offensive line is at because, look, I mean – you're talking about Diego Pounce taking over at left tackle and, and starting there and looking pretty damn good in his first two games that he's played out there. Um, that was a guy that coming into the year, you were hoping, you know, Mac Brown was talking about, hey, we're going to get him some rotational reps. And now he's taken over that that left tackle spot. It's allowed William Barnes to move back to right guard. Um, now, I mean, we saw against App State that, you know, that, that tandem of him and Spencer Rowland at times – not necessarily the best group in terms of pass protection, um, but still, I, I think you're, you're you're finding more depth in the process of this. And you know, I think with Willie Lampkin, you hit on one. You, you really did. Like that was a guy. You know, you said it. We got to see it from him because he was coming up from the group of five level. I know it's. I know it's. It's only two games. I think we saw what we needed to see. Like this dude was really, really good in the first two games of the season. And especially if you go back to that game against South Carolina, the way that he played in that game where he was clearly Carolina's best offensive lineman, um, to do that against SEC-type talent up front, it really says a lot. And I think, you know, it, it was a testament to him the other day. Um, I'm, You know, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not going to say I'm concerned, but – Look, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and 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 really this specific issue in the next game too against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh always a team that prides themselves on having a great defensive line. They're going to test you. So we're going to see if you're the team that you were the first 2 weeks of the season. And I get against South Carolina you weren't phenomenal, but still that's kind of what you're expecting and hey, if we if our passing game um, you know, can still throw for over 300 yards, then great. Um, but what we saw this past weekend, you know, you don't want to see that culminate too, too many more times where it really forces your passing game to have to take over because, I mean, look, as, as we said, they still don't have those receivers that they can trust outside of the tight end group, Nate McCollum, and at times, especially when he's in the slot, Kobe Pesor. So, you're just hoping that, hey, that running game uh, really just looks at the film, finds a way uh, to bounce back starting this week against Pitt. The bigger concern to me is on the defensive side of the ball, and that's the uh, you know the, the rushing defense. And it really started up front the other day with the defensive line. First of all, the defensive line just frankly was not great the other day um as it was and and look you would kind of expect especially the edge rushers des evans came and rucker were tremendous the first two weeks of the season uh relatively quiet i will say this des evans uh one of the biggest plays that he had the entire day uh was he was the one that got the pressure on the interception by armani chapman great job did, did a great job stunning uh inside gets a uh, great uh does a great job beating the tackle uh, and and just absolutely levels the quarterback, creating the interception. But you know he he wasn't great throughout the entire day. 
Um, Carolina gets just 13 total pressures in the game, just nine from their edge rushers, four from their interior guys. And that's really where my concern lies. And that's where I think it extends into Carolina's run defense. I still think there are question marks about the interior of this defensive line. There are times where this group just gets pushed around. Um, and I get it. You know, the other day, Minnesota did a really good job of running, especially off of uh, off of that right end. But at the same time, you know, they were still having success running it up the gut uh, inside of that that left guard um, in, in between the guard and tackle uh, there. I think Carolina, you know, the interior of this defensive line, they've got guys that we've been waiting to see break out. Um, and I thought, you know, the guy that probably played up there the best the other day was Travis Shaw, and maybe you got to start seeing more snaps for him. Um, but, you know, guys like Javari Ritzy, um, really the two starters for sure, Miles Murphy, Kevin Hester, they're just not making the plays up front that you need them to make right now. They're not winning those one-on-one battles up front, whether it's in – rundowns or passing downs, that's an area where Carolina's got to get better because they can't keep getting gashed on the ground, especially up the middle like they have the last two weeks. Um, if, if that keeps happening, you know that's the one area of weakness that could come back to bite this team, and you're going to see some really good running teams here as you go throughout the rest of the ACC season. So, I mean, I don't know how you felt about that. I know Minnesota, that was clearly going to be the strength of their team. It has been for years, um, really the better part of the last decade. And it probably should have been an even bigger part of their game plan, but it was still a pretty big part of it. Uh, It's just Carolina's interior defensive line really needs to step up and help those linebackers out uh, if they're going to be better at stopping the run moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just uh, – this is this defensive line. Um, what you saw in week one isn't who they are. Um, I don't think what you saw in week two is who they are, where, I mean, they got bullied by a group of five offensive line. But also what you saw on Saturday can't be who they are. It's got to be some sort of combination of what you saw in all three games, just more – it really comes down to consistency yeah, and, and really winning on early downs. That's that's the biggest key. When they win mm-hmm. on first and second down, and this is true for all offenses, but like it, it just feels different for Carolina because we've been scarred for a decade watching second and threes and you know third and ones because you're not you're not making you're not forcing negative plays. And so um, you know, I, I do think that interior is, yeah, I, I think, I think it's a problem. Um, there, there's, there's got to be more consistent production there at filling the gaps. And it really just comes down to doing what you need to do to let your two linebackers fill the hole and make the plays. I mean, that's what the, 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 the uh, that's what the defense is designed for those two guys to do. It's hard for them to do that when you're getting blocked into them. <laughs> as good as said, gray and power Eccles are, if, if you're being flushed out, it's hard for those two dudes to go make the plays. And so um, I, I think you still like what you got on the edge from, you know, Dez Evans and Cayman Rucker. It feels like whenever they need to make a, make their presence felt, they've done that. Um, but you're going to – the more that you can see teams that can run it up the middle, that's going to be what's going to happen um, moving forward. And, and so that's got to be an area where you know, there needs to be some more production, uh, some more – um, some more leadership. You, you saw some more. I don't know. I don't know how many snaps Travis Shaw played the other day, but it feels 14. like it feels like the, this defensive staff this year is a lot more willing to rotate guys in and out. Yes. And if you're not you're not doing what you need to do, we'll go find someone else to do what, what, what we're asking you to do. And so, um, you know, the good news is is that it wasn't a world class offensive line that that kicked your butt, but it also wasn't a bad, you know, this wasn't, this is, this is also not one of the better offensive lines in the big 10. You're going to see good offensive lines as the season moves along. And um, so Gene Chizik and, and Tim Cross, they got to keep tinkering. They got to keep working to figure out the right combination, the right strategy to, to give them the best chance up front. If they can hold teams to 125 yards or less rushing, I think you're pretty confident that this defense will do what it needs to do week in, week out. But you're, yeah. you're giving up a buck fifty, a buck seventy-five every game. 
it's going to be really hard, I think, as the season moves along for this defense to hold up its end of the bargain. Well, because how many teams are you going to hold to 133 passing yards? Like, how, how many teams are Not you going to hold under 200? Like, it's just – I mean, maybe – maybe I mean, you would hope that – and we'll talk more about this on Thursday. You would hope maybe you could do it against your next opponent. But, like, after that, like, especially you get you get later in the season with some of those teams that, that you're going to have to face, especially a team like Duke. Like, you're holding Riley Leonard to under 200 yards passing? Like, I, I just – I don't know if that's a guarantee. You're holding Cade Klubnick to under 200 yards passing? I mean, especially by that time, who knows? We don't know where Clemson's offense will be by that time. Um, We don't know where NC State's offense will be by that time. Um, So, I mean, that's – that's the thing. Carolina's got to keep keep building there. And I want to I want to say this because we 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 were just pretty critical of the D line there. Even with that, this this unit is so far ahead of where last year's was. My God, I, I mean th- this unit like last year's unit. I mean we would be talking about them probably getting ran on in this game for about four hundred yards. Like that that unit stood absolutely no chance. So they've taken steps forward. Um, I think, you know, we talked about the interior, the, the the guys on the edge. I mean, there are times where they just get washed out. You, you said it. I mean, how many times did you say the other day, got to seal the edge? There's nobody there. Like that's, that's something that they've got to be a little bit better at. Um, and in terms of like the interior penetration, anytime that Carolina was actually able to get into the backfield, did it not always seem like it was some sort of run blitz or really just a great job of recognizing the play? and it was one of the linebackers in the backfield with the initial penetration, it shouldn't have to be your linebackers all the time that are making plays in the backfield just to force the play back inside or whatever. You guys need to be – you. the interior line has to be the group that is forcing those plays. you got to win those one-on-one battles up front. You're right. Minnesota, give them a lot of credit. That's a really good offensive line unit. Um, I think they're, you said they're really not one of the better ones in the Big Ten. I would beg to differ. I think that's probably going to be right up there. I think running the football, that, that's their strike. That's the only way that team's winning games this year. And I think they're they're going to be a really good offensive line unit for the majority of the season led by their tackles. But, I, I mean, Carolina, you just, moving forward, you want to see guys continue to take steps. I think – Pass rushing wise, we've seen it at times. Um, even the other day, I mean, they didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, but I will say this you look at the timely pressure that they were able to get. How big was that sack from Jacoby Cowan? He he played seven snaps the other day. Only four of them were pass rushing snaps. He had that huge sack on third and two that eventually led to the tut to uh Minnesota punting and then Carolina driving down and scoring a touchdown to put the game away. And it's all, and and then he also had another pressure. So I mean, you're seeing that the, the big play from Des Evans only two pressures the entire day, but the one that he has leads to an interception. They are making timely plays in terms of what they are doing pass rushing wise. Now, can you find a way to be better as a defensive front against the run? That's I think the next step for Carolina. As we said, they now sit three and zero on the season. Uh, it's the third time in four years that Carolina is three and zero, and you know you feel. I, I I mean, this is this is the way that we'll finish up this portion. We feel better about where this team is at right now than we felt a year ago, right? Like to me, there's no question. I, I mean, I get it. You had to go on the road to beat App State and Georgia State, but to me, I mean, you beat South Carolina in a game that nobody thought. A lot of people did not think that you were going to win, including my dumb ass. Um, you, you beat App State, and I get it. I, I mean, we we came on here. We told you we didn't think App State was really that great of a football team. I got to tell you, after the other day against ECU, I, I think we're dead wrong on that. I, I know, you know, ECU isn't exactly great, but App State, you talk about a game that – was just controlled the entire way. App State's App State's good. They're gonna they're gonna be right there in that Sun Belt race. And then you know you the the way you beat Minnesota the other day, I get it. You know didn't dominate them. We'd like to see you put it put it away earlier. I still feel like I, I feel better about where this team is at right now than I did a year ago. Uh, I'll just re uh, restate what I said earlier. I think it's more believable. 
Um, I, I think it's easier this year to envision them winning nine, ten games in the regular season than it was a year ago. Um, you know, and the biggest thing you and I thought about last year was they couldn't they they couldn't take care of, of opponents. I mean, you gave up 40 points in a quarter to App State. You, you barely beat Georgia State on the road. You're playing one-possession games against Miami and Virginia, who turned out to not be very good, uh, as last year proved. This year hasn't been that. And the best thing is Carolina hasn't – they haven't played a four quarters. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's still the most frustrating thing about it is – we still need to see four quarters, but you're telling me that you're three and zero, and two of your wins are against Power Five opponents by double digits. It's a lot easier to believe this team can get back to Charlotte, and I think it was at the beginning of the year because Clemson looks vulnerable. You don't see Florida State at all uh, unless you see them in Charlotte. You get Duke at home. You get Miami at home. I don't think NC State's going to play a factor in the ACC race. And so um, I think it's just a lot more believable for us Tar Heel fans that had doubts entering the year. Like I had them at nine and three, finishing third in the conference. It's it's pretty, it's a lot. My, my, my mind is more likened to think this team could get back to Charlotte than it was back in August. Yeah. And I think, you know, the biggest reason why I believe more in it is, you know, a lot of what you said, but also like we talked about the first three games of last year, they won every game pretty much the exact same way. They just made timely plays, especially on the offensive side of the football to find a way to win games. This year they, they, they've won three games and they've won the three games in very different fashions. You're seeing a team that is, the reason it's more believable is because they are, more multifaceted. They can do a lot of different things. Um, I, you know, last year weren't a great running team. I feel like this year, I know coming off a, a, a tough rushing performance, I think they've been pretty, pretty good for the most part. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing steps taken on defense last year is a pass pass defense. Go back and find me a game that you really felt great about how Carolina played, uh, in, in, especially in their secondary. It's hard. It's hard to find that. So I think you're, you're seeing a lot of different areas. Like there's not an area that you're looking at right now. And you're just like, man, this area of the team, giant weakness. There's areas they can improve, but you're not seeing an area that you're just unbelievably concerned about. And you're also seeing the talent and the depth throughout this roster. It's spread out. Uh, Last year, I think it was more controlled to certain areas. I think this year you're starting to see that this, the, the recruiting that this staff has done, now you combine it with some of the development that's going on. It, it's really working wonders. So, yeah, it, it is a lot easier to believe. And I feel like for, for Toriel fans, you know, you look around and I and, and Clemson, as you mentioned, seems a little vulnerable. Florida State, I have no idea what to believe with Florida State um, in terms like, do I still think they're the best team in the ACC? I do. But, I mean, they did struggle the other day on the road at Boston College. Like, this is this is a team that, it's still, it would it shock anybody if this team slips up against an opponent or two that you're not expecting? No. I mean, it's this has been Florida State here recently. Um, but there are also other teams that I think are surprising us that maybe we didn't think were going to be that good, including two opponents that Carolina is going to have to face coming up. Syracuse, who I think has looked really, really good out of the gate early on this season. Uh, they had a quarterback that just ran for almost 200 yards. So that's going to be a challenge for Carolina. And then you got Miami, who, I mean, I don't know how many people thought Miami was going to be a factor in the ACC. They keep playing the way they're playing right now. Um, I mean, there will be a lot of people that will think Florida State and Miami will be heading to Charlotte to play for the ACC championship game. So uh, I, I think, you know, Carolina's in a good spot. We're going to learn a lot about them here as they get into conference play. But there is reason to be excited uh, the last thing that I did want to mention on the way out of here, as I said, sort of previewing, you know, the next edition of the podcast, uh, Zach Hubbard, we will uh, have him on and guys, he will be live for the first time tomorrow night. Um, don't have a time set just yet, but we'll get that uh, ironed out. I'll tweet that out uh, just like I did tonight uh, whenever we get that set. 
But we will be talking about the commitment of 2025 interior offensive lineman Trey Blue, in-state prospect. Carolina gets their second in-state prospect of the 2025 class. Uh, he committed on Sunday night. And uh, this is a guy that Carolina, you know, had had on campus a couple of times after they offered him. Uh, clearly the best offer that he had on the table. And Carolina really likes him, a guy that I think they feel like they can develop. Um, we'll break him down a little bit more uh, in depth tomorrow when we talk about him. But uh, just my initial takeaways on him, a guy that, uh, you know, for his size, very athletic, love his footwork, really good hand placement. Um, I think it's just going to be about ironing out his position when he gets to the next level because right now playing left tackle at the high school level, like you would expect for guys that are getting recruited. If you're the best offensive lineman, you're going to play that left tackle spot. Um, but at the next level probably projects more as an interior offensive lineman. So we'll talk more about that on tomorrow's live edition, but as for tonight's live edition, we're going to close this one out. Guys, make sure you head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Check out the recap of that Minnesota game tomorrow morning. We will have the stock report that will be going up. I handled that this week while uh, Josh was out enjoying the game last night. Uh, so make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out for that. And then uh, I will do a quick turnaround, get you guys ready for the game against Pitt with a preview of that one ahead of uh, the nighttime kick, 8 p.m. Uh, on ACC Network on Saturday. So uh, we will uh, have you guys covered with all of that stuff. Of course, uh, after that game is over, recap, stock report, all that same stuff uh, will be coming out for you guys to take a look at. So uh, make sure you guys are checking that out. Basketball, believe it or not, right around the corner, guys. Uh, this team is about ready to hit the court, start practicing. Josh will have you covered as we go throughout that season as well. Um, so make sure that uh, you're you're keeping tabs on everything. Again, Heel Tough Blog dot com is the place to check all of that out so that officially wraps it up for this edition of the podcast want to thank josh for hosting with me want to thank you guys for watching and listening and as always go tar heels Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.